0: You may be seated as we walk through Psalm 119 together. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, so rule and govern our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit that, ever mindful of your final judgment, we may be stirred up to holiness of living here and dwell with you in perfect joy hereafter. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever amen our old testament reading this day from the prophet isaiah in the 44th chapter thus says the lord king of israel and his redeemer the lord of hosts i am the first and i am the last besides me there is no god who is like me let him proclaim it let him declare and set it before me since i appointed an ancient people Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is the word of the Lord. In our epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, in the 8th chapter. I invite you to rise and honor the gospel from Luke's gospel in the 19th chapter. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. and Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for gathering us together into your presence to hear your word and receive your gifts. We pray you move by your spirit as you lead us and guide us in your word, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds as we seek you, and more accurately, you seek us and find us and bring us unto yourself. We pray you be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. As you are aware over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this sermon series on the Ten Commandments and words to be loved by. And as we've walked through each commandment, we've seen how God directs us in life uh, as we should live as his children, but then also how others are protected by these commandments as we live within them and how we are loved as others follow these commandments as well. And so, as God leads and guides his people, we see how we are loved through them and loved by them. But I have a question How much is okay? Let's put some context to that. How many pens are you allowed to take from the office? How much change is okay to not let the cashier know about when they give you too much? Is it 30 cents? Is it a dollar? Is it $10? Is it the 50 they handed you instead of a 20 because that's just the day it went and God must have blessed you cuz he knew that you needed the 50? I can't remember the exact limit right now, but in the last year or so, California law had it set, I think, around $650, if not up to $900. If you shoplifted, they would not prosecute. Their limit was somewhere between seven dollars and $900. Isn't that wild? That makes absolutely no sense at all. But on a smaller scale, a lot of times, we do something similar. That pack of Post-it notes will be just fine. We need them at the house. I'll buy another one and bring it back to the office. I'll take it over there. There's times at which we take little things. And we justify it. We think it's okay. Another one for you. How long is it okay to borrow a tool from your neighbor? Before it's yours. (laughs) Like, do you borrow it just long enough until they move? I mean, because, shoot, forgot that was in the back corner. Well, they moved. Guess I got a new drill, right? These things that we work through and weigh through are a little difficult at times because none of us outrightly go steal something from someone. It isn't something. It's like the fifth commandment, right? None of us outrightly go and murder somebody with that intent. Very few of you are intently going out into someone's house to go steal from them. Maybe the orange that hangs over the fence, but really it's on your side of the property line. So isn't that yours anyway? Right? We don't intently go do these things. Yet at times, we still find ourselves in the midst of taking something that's not ours. So we justify it. We figure out that there's a boundary to it. That's probably all right, because in all reality, everybody does it, and so does our neighbor, and, and really they have something that of mine that they've had for forever, and, and really it's a wash. Yeah. It's interesting when you go into Luther's large catechism on this commandment, there's almost more pages devoted to this than some others. And very little of it has anything to do with the outright thief. Because he says those are blatant. Everybody sees those. That's what the princes are in place for and the executioners are in place for. And when they're caught, they're dealt with. But man, oh man, if we paid attention to the way everybody in the marketplace deceives and takes more or asks more for their goods than they really should we would run out of ropes and gallows. There's a picture for you. Luther, of course, was never very soft or gentle with his words or his metaphors at all. But think through that for just a second. How often does somebody uh, think a little too highly of the goods or services that they're offering, and they offer it at a little too highly of a price? And this is coming from a guy who did not live in a society of capitalism by any means. Right In the wine world, when we were selling wines, it was really interesting. As you tasted many, many different things, you started to see how quality did not necessarily denote price. And the term that we always had was, whew, those folks are really proud of their wine. Because the quality might be here, but the price they're asking is somewhere up here. And then you'd find others where it was the other way around. You're just like, do you know what you have? This is absolutely amazing. Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm going to buy a case, right? <laughs> and I'll share it with folks. You know. But this mindset that flows through a lot of society where it's okay to either charge a little bit more, which Luther would call deceiving somebody out of goods or money, right? But it also flows through other areas of life. How often do we find ourselves in a place of employment when we're getting paid for something, but you know the breaks really aren't long enough, or the work they ask me to do is really too hard, so I'm just going to build in a self-break into the middle of things. I'll make the computer look like it's doing something, but just kind of mentally zone out for 10, 15 minutes, somewhere over here when it's not break time. Sometimes we find ourselves in these situations where we're lazy with the work that we need to do while somebody's expecting more from us as well. All of these things fall under this category of stealing. In Luther's day, as he taught, he would talk about maidservants and manservants who, not out of accident or... anything like that, but just out of laziness or inattention to detail would slowly break and not take care of the things that were there at their master's house. And over a year, you know, they would end up having to spend more money for broken things and all that sort of stuff. And he said that can go on, yet if that same amount of money was outright stolen by the person, they would be prosecuted, they would be kicked out. But in the end, the master of the house is still lacking the same amount. I'm sure you've seen that with folks that you work with. If you, you know, Many of you work very hard in what you've done, and if it's in the employment realm or the volunteer realm or whatever it is, when you put your hands to work, you put them to work in a dutiful way, and yet if you have someone walking alongside you who's not doing the work, how do you feel? You kind of want to kick them in the pants, don't you? get them in order, get them in line, get them to come do the work or find something to put into their hands so that they can then work through things because there's this thing that goes on in our mind when we say here's an expectation of us and when somebody isn't living up to it, we want to lift them up and help them and guide them whether it's out of frustration because they're not doing anything and all the work's on our shoulders or if it's out of a heart of encouragement, wanting to show them what work really looks like. Wanting to show them what it looks like to put in a good, hard day's work. Because how does it feel when you have done work diligently, intentionally, and as hard as you could possibly do it? And know that your work may not necessarily benefit yourself, but benefit someone else. It feels good. It's hard when it's not seen. It's true. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, you know that you've done what was right. tell you the truth, I've had a hard time wrapping my head around the particular gospel text with this commandment, because the commandment is, you should not steal, and the text is with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, Societally, he was looked down upon, (laughs) and physically, I guess, he was looked down upon too, right? Because he was a wee little man, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a little... See, all right, I was waiting for somebody to pick it up. But the rest of his people didn't like the fact that he was a tax collector because being a tax collector meant that he was taking money from them to give to the Romans, and he was rich. But there's really nowhere in the text that says that he defrauded anybody intentionally or outright stole So it's interesting as we read through it, first off, and then putting it in the light of Luke's gospel in a little bit of a bigger picture, the miracles just before are the blind guy that couldn't see and Jesus heals him. And what's Zacchaeus looking to do? See Jesus and seek him. And a little bit before that, there was another account of a rich young ruler that came to see Jesus and seek eternal life. And that rich young ruler, right, because the rich ones in the day were highly sought after and highly looked up to man there's all kinds of puns in this one isn't there the rich guys were highly looked up to but now you have rich Zacchaeus who's looked down upon you have the blind guy that's seeking to seek Jesus and now you have this guy that can't see because of the crowds are in the way and so Zacchaeus in the middle of Luke's gospel is really this bit of a conundrum Because everybody thinks that he is stealing and evil and wrong because of his profession. And so they've ostracized him. He's outside of his own people. It says he's rich, but a question for you, is it wrong to be rich? No. God blesses so many different people throughout the world with wealth. Think of Uh, Lydia, the dealer of purple goods in the New Testament, right? She was a huge supporter of the church and welcomed folks into her home so that they could worship, hear God's word, and receive the Lord's Supper. She hosted. She used all of those riches to share with God's church and to be with them, to support it, to lift it up, to use it, to steward it well, right? So Zacchaeus is not necessarily... In a bad spot because he's rich. Now, it can be a temptation, just like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I've followed all of your commandments. What would you have me do for eternal life? And Jesus sees his heart and says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy left away sorrowful, right? Now, Zacchaeus coming to seek Jesus, this rich guy who's looked down upon, this tax collector who society has deemed a sinner, But Jesus never did. Now we know that all of us are sinners because we don't follow God's laws perfectly. But even think in that moment when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house today. I want to be in your presence today. I want to come into your presence, into your household, to be there, to be present with you, not only to show everybody who I'm here to care for, but you're also, you know, lumped in with this people that are ostracized from our community, and I want to make the relationship right between you and them, and I want to come in so people would see who you truly are, Zacchaeus, because again, the people thought that he just stole everything. So he said, I want to come and be in your house today. And Zacchaeus says, man, that would be great. And the people grumbled. We don't necessarily know who, it was just they. The general they out there grumbled. It doesn't say scribes and Pharisees. It doesn't say the crowds. It just says they. It might have even been the 12 disciples that are right there too. We don't really know. It was just a whole bunch of they out there that were grumbling at the fact that that Jesus was going to go eat with this tax collector. He was joyful about it, rejoicing about the fact that our Lord would be in his presence, that he would get to go and share all of the things that have blessed him with the Lord. They grumbled. And he said, look, Lord, half of what I have I give to the poor. Now listen to those words real quick. It's not... I've stolen and I will give half of what I have to the poor. But when you look at the language, it's something that he is presently doing and has been doing up until that point. But maybe nobody knew about it. Have you ever known anybody that uh, was very quiet, humbly wealthy? You never really knew how they used their monies, who they shared it with, who they lifted up whose mortgages they were paying, whose cars they were sharing, whose food they were buying, what charities they were supporting. There's so many times out of whatever level of monies God has blessed you with that many of you don't steal, but are very generous and wealthy, generous in giving, I should say, generous in giving from what God has provided you. So Zacchaeus says, look, Half of what I give, I I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anybody, I restore it to them fourfold. Think think about that. If you took a drill from someone because they let you borrow it, right? And you took it for too long and they started to get upset, you go and buy three more and hand all four of them back to them. It wouldn't make much sense. You couldn't use all of them at the same time. But think about what that would look like in life if folks did that. You buy the, you know, take the one little post-it note thing from the office and you bring back four. Now there's a little bit of an important thing here, especially before we get to Jesus' response for Zacchaeus. See, in the Abrahamic code and in the people of God's living of things, if they had defrauded anybody of a certain amount, they were supposed to give them back 1.2 times the amount. It's a lot different than four. But Zacchaeus just wasn't vocal about it or loud about it. So it's interesting to see also the society's perception of those who have money and Jesus' heart of this one who's rejoicing over this wee little man, right? Because as soon as Zacchaeus is saying this, he says, Look, behold, this is what I do. Given, I, I give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I restore it to them fourfold. Now, you can almost read between the lines there God, you've continued to bless me to where my life is still abundant. Yet this is still coming from a guy whose heart is seeking the Lord, one who wants to be in his presence. One who is rejoicing over the fact that the Lord has come to be in his presence and gather him to himself and say, I want to not only restore your relationship with the creator, but salvation has come to this house today. As Jesus worked to make the relationship right between Zacchaeus and the grumblers, he gave opportunity for him to show what he had done with his things as he had been a good steward of the things God had given him. That he wasn't trusting in his riches and walking away sorrowful, but he was trusting in God and all of the providence and things that he'd done. And he's looking to encourage and lift up and build up all the people that are around as many of you do as well. And it's beautiful. See, a beautiful part where Jesus himself, salvation in the flesh, comes to sit in this guy's house, not because of what he had done, but because Jesus wanted to make things right. Because by his words, he could restore Zacchaeus to be a son of Abraham, as he declared him to be. And he said, look, this guy follows all of the things you say your people need to do. He is a son of Abraham. Salvation has been brought to him. And I am here to declare his salvation, Jesus says. Salvation as one of the people of God. Salvation as one of a son of Abraham. Salvation as one who is here and loved by God. Jesus came into his presence to do that. And Jesus comes into our presence to declare the same thing. I'm sure there's times where you've handled things rightly. And I'm sure there's times where you've handled things wrongly. In the middle of it, I continue to speak forgiveness to you. Knowing that the folks that are around you are there to share what they have with you so that you would be lifted up. That we are called to live life together to protect and provide for one another. To be able to live life in a way to where when we see some falling, we are able to give and help. It's not always monetary, a lot of times it's time, a lot of times it's heart, a lot of times it's energy. All these things that God gifts us with in so many different ways to be able to not take them from someone else for their detriment or use them in a way that is not glorifying to God, but to receive those things from God, be thankful to God for him and glorify him by taking care of those that God brings into our lives. Such a beautiful way to care for one another, not stealing from one another, but providing for and protecting and lifting up one another as God has given everything to us, giving us everything necessary for salvation as Christ comes into our presence to speak those very words of forgiveness, to say, I want to be in your house today. Not only I want to be, I'm coming to your house today. I'm present with you today. My word is ever with you. I've given you of my Holy Spirit. I've lifted you up. I've given you everything necessary to be restored into the family of God. Because salvation is yours in Christ. He has given it to you freely and graciously. Not taken it from you or stripped it away from you. But brought you into it. So that not only would you be restored to your neighbors and into that household, that you'd be restored into the household of God. Brought into that family. Restored by Christ's word alone. So that we do not need to steal from one another or steal from God in any of the things that he gives, but to know that he calls each one of us together to share from the very gifts that God has given to us so that we would know that we're loved by him. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done to make us yours, all that you have given to make things right between us and you. For all those that you bring into our lives who are in need and also those who are able to give that you would give us hearts that would glorify you as you continue to love us by your word and as you give us your word to love others by as you give us all the different things necessary for our daily bread and abundantly so we thank you lord for all the generous caring hearts that you gather together so that your work would continue to be done so that your word would continue to be spoken so that we would continue to be cared for by you're working through your creation for our good. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.